This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, it is indeed my fate to be the host of this program, and I'm happy to report for the first time in, I don't know, five weeks, something like that, we actually have the host and producer in the same room at the same time. Now, for starters, I noted on last week's program that Mr. McMillan would surely come back with some exciting stories about his trip to the Caribbean, but he's apparently being rather recalcitrant and uh, saying he's got nothing much to offer except, what, a centipede bit you? Yes, my last day there. Well, that ought to be good for at least 30 seconds. Uh, Do centipede bites uh, hurt a great deal? Well, the centipede that bit me was a baby only about two inches long, and it felt like I was stung by a hornet. Are these like the Hawaiian centipedes that grow like a foot long? Yes, they are. Oh, and you got a two-incher, and that hurt like what? The hornet sting. Hmm. You got anything else? I killed a giant cockroach. All right, well, that about summarizes Mr. McMillan's trip to the Caribbean. We're big travel advocates in this program, and we'll try and bring Tony Wheeler, as promised, in the next few weeks to talk about badlands and darklands and traveling to uh, really out-of-the-way, not-so-nice places, and hopefully give his version of how they're, they're generally not as bad as you'd think. And you could ask him if he's ever been bit by a centipede. Okay, question number one on the list. On a more serious note, in our second segment today, we're going to have a, a rather honored guest. I, that's at least I consider it my honor to host him on this program. That would be Dr. Josiah Thompson, who is without a doubt one of the most respected critics of the Warren Report whose 1967 book, Six Seconds in Dallas, is still regarded as one of the best. We traveled down to the Bay Area a couple months back and recorded a segment, which we will air, as I say, in our second segment today. That should prove very interesting, because we do note, by way of starting the show in the usual manner, that although it wasn't on this date in history, it was on this week in history, 50 years ago, that the Warren Commission report was presented to President Lyndon Baines Johnson. And yes, as far as we know, Earl Warren had a straight face when he handed the book over. The epic quote from LBJ when he received the volume was to heft it and say, It's heavy. I do want to note that uh, in conjunction with this anniversary, this correspondent traveled to Washington, D.C. this past weekend to attend a conference sponsored by the Assassination Archives and Research Center at the Bethesda Hyatt Regency, It was titled The Warren Report and the JFK Assassination, Five Decades of Significant Disclosures. And I want to talk about that a little later in this segment or perhaps in our third segment. It was my great pleasure to note that many of their participants in this conference uh, have been prior guests on this program. In fact, no less than 10 people among this uh, rather valiant uh, group of searchers for truth have been Radio Parallax guests. These include Peter Dale Scott, Jefferson Morley, Dr. Cyril Wett, Dr. Gary Aguilar, Lisa Pease, Jim DiEugenio, Jane Rusconi, Jerry Polikoff, Russ Baker, and David Talbot. I do want to note that uh, we didn't talk with all of those people about the JFK issue. In fact, we did not talk with Cyril Wett, Peter Dale Scott, or Jerry Polikoff about the JFK case, but we, we may in the future. When I stepped into an elevator during one of the breaks, uh, respected author Anthony Summers stepped in. I said, Anthony Summers? He looked at me. I said, I've been an admirer of your work for, for decades now. To which I added, I have not yet had a chance to get the latest copy of your book, but I see they're selling it down in the bookstore. And he said, well, if you're serious and you want to buy one, I'll come down and sign it for you. 
So by God, that's what I did. And Mr. Summers did agree that if he can give him a couple weeks time, and which will give me a chance to read the book, he'll come on the show and talk about it. I'm looking forward to that. Also glad to note that I crossed paths with Bill Simpich, who runs the Spartacus Educational Center, which you can, I think, pull up at Spartacus.com. I highly recommend that as a source of information on just about anything regarding the world of deep politics. Bill has certainly done his homework, and we're looking forward to bringing him on the program in the months to come as well. Anyway, we have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's jump right into On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 2nd of October. It was on October 2nd in 1187 that Saladin, the great Muslim leader, recaptured Jerusalem from the Crusaders. He allowed wealthy Christians to buy their freedom, but apparently sold some of the rest into slavery. Entirely to Saladin's credit, he did not murder the Christians and Jews he encountered there, which was quite a different story from what happens when the Christians first took it and found Muslims and Jews there, and wholesale slaughter resulted. Apparently, Saladin wanted to show the world that Muslims were more civilized. And on this date, October 2nd in 1835, the Texas Revolution against Mexico began as Texans in Gonzales drove off a Mexican army unit that attempted to disarm the town's citizens. We here at Radio Parallax still hold out hope that it may be possible someday to sell Texas back to Mexico. On October 2nd in 1919, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson suffered a massive stroke, which would in fact incapacitate him for the remainder of his tenure. And on October 2nd in 1941, on the verge of the Russian winter, Nazi Germany launched an intense attack titled Operation Typhoon. Moscow was the goal. And although invading German armies advanced quickly over a broad front, the Russians employed a scorched-earth policy, leaving behind nothing of value to support Adolf Hitler's troops. Which, in fact, never managed to capture Moscow. All right, our quote of the day comes from Garrison Keillor, who recently said, Take care of your friends, because there will come a time when you're not much fun to be with, and there's no excuse to like you except out of long-standing habit. Whereas our quote of the day comes from Coco Chanel, who said, The best things in life are free. The second best things are very, very expensive. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Jimmy Kimmel, who said recently, Facebook has a terrifying new feature. It uses the microphone in your smartphone to listen to what music, movies, or TV shows you're watching or hearing. And then it posts them to your Facebook page. You have to hand it to Facebook. Each time I figure Facebook has become as creepy as possible, they find a way to become even creepier. Our anecdote of the day for today's show is as follows. Apparently, Sarah Palin and her family became embroiled a few weeks back in a drunken brawl during a party in Anchorage. A fight began when Palin's son, Track, age 25, got into an argument with his 20-year-old sister, Willow's former boyfriend, and their argument turned into a fist fight. Witnesses told the New York Times when four other guys piled in and began beating up Track, his father, Todd, came to his aid and began throwing punches. Bristol, age 23, another of Palin's daughters, also joined in the brawl, punching a man several times, according to witnesses. A local blogger reported that Sarah Palin screamed, Don't you know who I am? 
And, you know, have to pause to suggest that we suspect the answer to that may be yes. According to one witness, Eric Thompson, it had all been a nice, mellow party until the Palins arrived in a stretch Hummer. He said, then it turned into the Jerry Springer show. And you know, while I'm tempted to use the Palin family beating up as this week's edition of Good News <laughs> as well, I think I'll instead note the fact that there's kind of a cool museum not that far away that we didn't know about. And the way we found out about it's pretty strange. It comes from the Week magazine, courtesy of an entry by the Sacramento Bee's own Sam McManus. Said Sam in the Bee, which was picked up later by the Week, a museum at San Quentin turns out to be surprisingly fun. A bit creepy, yes, but the modest operation located right on the prison grounds off San Francisco Bay provides fascinating insight into perhaps the most notorious penitentiary this side of Gitmo. It's open Tuesdays and Thursdays only. The museum was founded by journalist Jeff Kramer, who now mans the front desk and brings the collection to life with endless stories. This is pretty cool. We're going to see if we can't visit that museum. God knows this correspondent uh, drives right by uh, San Quentin, uh, on a semi-regular basis, having visited friends in Marin. And, and I had no idea. Thank you, Mr. McManus. All right, let's have several stats of the day. First, the fact that apparently Yahoo faced a $250,000 daily fine if it defied the NSA. Yes, apparently a couple weeks back, some court documents revealed the fact that uh, that was the threat leveled against Yahoo if it failed to participate in the NSA's controversial PRISM program. Those documents outlined a secret and unsuccessful legal battle by Yahoo to resist government demands. We add that PRISM was first revealed by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden last year and has prompted a national debate over allegations, I would say, over a certainty of overreach in government surveillance, a story we will continue to follow. All right, stat number two, which is also a follow-up on something we mentioned previously, is that China now sends more tourists abroad than any country in the world. This year, 116 million Chinese tourists will travel abroad and spend $155 billion, which is up 20% over last year. Their favorite destinations? Australia, South Korea, and the Southeast Asian countries. That's according to Bloomberg Businessweek. All right, and one final stat, because I find this one terribly alarming. According to Vox.com, from 1999 to 2012, the average American waist grew nearly a whole pant size, from 37.6 inches to 38.8. White women, aged 40 to 49, had a 2.6-inch expansion, while black women, aged 30 to 39, grew larger around the waist by 4.6 inches. Holy mackerel! I think we better jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for civil rights with the news that the Spanish government dropped an effort to outlaw abortion in the face of widespread protests. Evidently, Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy of the Conservative People's Party, which has had a majority in Parliament since 2011, announced last year he planned to ban abortion except in cases of rape or to save the mother's life. 
But 75% of Spaniards opposed the plan, and tens of thousands turned out for rallies against it this year. You know, we also had a big rally in New York uh, recently here to protest global warming. We certainly hope that that, too, will produce some positive political action, but uh, we're not holding our breath. At any rate, it was a bad week last week for storming the castle after a Texas man who was fleeing police broke into a home where the homeowner stabbed him with a spear. Said Jimmy Morgan Jr., described as a Game of Thrones enthusiast who collects medieval weaponry, I let him have it. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for losing something in the translation when an Indian newscaster got fired for referring to the visiting Chinese president Xi Jinping as 11 Jinping. Yes, he apparently mistook the XI for Roman numerals. It's noted that many viewers expressed support for the reporter, with one fan tweeting, at least the anchor knows Roman numerals, even if he mistook that for the Chinese premier's name. Anyway, I should say a little bit more about that protest on on climate change. In response to this, Paul Krugman in the New York Times said, saving the planet would be cheap. It might even be free. Citing two recent studies, one by the International Monetary Fund, Krugman concluded that strict carbon legislation would in fact have very little negative effect on the economy and might actually lead to faster growth. This is because the benefits of investing in renewable energy technology and partly because of the co-benefits of burning less coal. Of course, on the other side of the street, writing in the Wall Street Journal, Stephen E. Coonan said, The alarmists keep insisting climate science is settled. It's not. Yes, global temperatures are changing, but we have no idea how much of this is caused by human activity. Meanwhile, data continues to pile up, despite what they think over it to Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal, that, in fact, the changes we're seeing across the world in the climate are largely attributable to human beings. Evidently, the first half of this year was the hottest ever. And although it's not related to global warming, you may want to take a look on the web at these new NASA images showing what happened to the Aral Sea when water got diverted. We'll be returning to that as this water debate continues in California about the Twin Tunnels. Of course, looking at bad news coverage, like the Wall Street Journal, I note with some sadness that things have really apparently gotten bad over in Russia. The Week magazine reprinted a piece by Natalia Antonova from the Moscow Times saying that Russian state media have scrapped even basic reporting standards. Now that the state news agency, RIA Novosti, has been taken over by the propagandist-in-chief Dmitry Kisilyov, there's no longer even a pretense that journalists are supposed to seek out facts. They just have to follow Kisilyov's patented combination of sensationalism and anti-Western paranoia. Noted Antonova, journalists with any integrity have quit these propaganda outfits, but they have nowhere to go. Several prominent internet magazines, the last bastion of free speech for Russian reporters, have been shut down. She notes the TVs where Russian gets their news and TVs dominated by Kiselyov and his like. And in the same vein, we would sadly like to refer you to the current issue of the Sacramento News and Review, or maybe online now, the piece by Melinda Welsh about what happened to Gary Webb. It's an excellent article. We hope it's going to be an excellent movie coming out soon, and perhaps we can get Melinda on this program to talk about Gary Webb. I mean, talk about an example of how screwed the media can be. By the way, at the conference in Washington, D.C. last weekend, there was to be a media panel. Well, actually, there was a panel. And up on the dais were 
five people, three of which have been on this program. Jerry Polakoff, Mal Hyman, Russ Baker, Jefferson Morley, and Andrew Krieg as a moderator. The topic was, why won't the media cover the story? And I have to note that when Jeff Morley took the dais, he just said, you know, we need to quit complaining. Yes, there's been plenty of suppression in the past. Yes, there is to this day. But we have the ability to go out there and reach people. I certainly want to give a plug for jfkfacts.com, operated by Mr. Morley, and a few other people, which is just a wonderful source of information about the JFK case and a lot of other deep politics. And indeed, a lot of people at this conference just said we need to take the story out to the public, which, you know, for, for decades now has acknowledged the fact that well, they don't believe the Warren Commission report either. And, but despite that prevailing public opinion, you, you wouldn't know that from the fact that the media just regards the JFK case as just, you know, like the third rail, not to be touched. And one of the key topics of discussion at this conference was the fact that there are still lots of records that are yet to be released related to the Kennedy assassination. That's in spite of laws passed in recent decades, which encouraged the releasing of records unless there was some compelling national security reason why they shouldn't be. Someone apparently seems to keep finding those reasons. In 2017, there's set to be a large release of information, unless there isn't. People have urged President Obama to just go ahead by executive order and let these things out, but like most things regarding President Obama, well, there's not a whole lot being done. Of course, in relation to that, I would note there's a rather fascinating story that's been uh, prominent in the news of late regarding the protection of our president. Uh, the Secret Service, well, they appear to be falling down on the job when a guy with a knife sprints across the lawn and manages to make it into, uh, into the White House through an unlocked door. And uh, actually much more astoundingly is this case of what happened back in 2011 regarding gunfire at the White House, which, which is a story that just gets weirder the more you look at it. Apparently, back in 2011, a guy south of the White House got off like seven semi-automatic rounds, which hit the building. In his haste to drive away, he then got in a car accident and fled the scene. When cops arrived, <laughs> they found a crashed car with an automatic weapon inside of it with empty shells. Although Secret Service agents at the White House thought at first, well, it, it seems like there have been some shots fired. They were evidently told, no, apparently not. That just appears to be some gunfire across the city, people shooting at one another. By the way, the September 13th issue of The Economist had quite a long piece about how uh, gunshot detecting microphones are helping police curb crime all across the country. And the premier place where we have such microphones is, was reputed to be Washington, D.C. Astoundingly, however, back in 2011, and even up till, I guess, rather recently, uh, well, the microphones just weren't placed properly to be able to tell anything about anybody, say, shooting at the White House. It apparently was only confirmed that there had been shots at the White House a few days later when a housekeeper noted broken glass. And as I understand it, the first lady only discovered this when someone sort of casually mentioned it when they were on vacation. The Secret Service decided not to trouble the President and First Lady, with news about the shooting while they were off on vacation. We might want to talk about this at greater length in the future, but uh, I just want to say that having seen Ray McGovern speak in Sacramento uh, last week, I was curious to note that during his talk he mentioned that some people have been criticizing the President to his face about how little he's got done, 
And apparently somewhere along the way, he just made mention of the fact of, well, you know what happened to Martin Luther King, which does make us speculate here at Radio Parallax that if you're that bird in a gilded cage, you're the President of the United States, and you know you're dependent upon a secret service to protect you from getting shot, well, you just might have some, you know, ideas about how easy it is to withdraw security. And in conjunction with that story about presidential security, I want to take one last look back at 1963 before we go to a break and note that it seems pretty clear now that when JFK's motorcade pulled out of Love Field for its drive through the city of Dallas that day, the agent whose specific duty it was to guard the president by jumping onto the back of the limo as needed, well, he apparently got left behind at Love Field. And it is a matter of historical record that when the bullets started flying, the only guy that took any meaningful action was Clint Hill, the Secret Service agent whose job it was to guard Jackie Kennedy. He's the guy that ran to the limousine and was just two seconds too late to prevent a bullet from striking the president. It makes you wonder. We need a break, desperately, I think. Uh, so let's take one. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. When we come back, we're going to speak with Professor Josiah Thompson about some of his first-rate research conducted over the years. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> 